Quick disclaimer, although what we say is evidence and literature-based, we don't know your personal details and situation. Therefore, make sure you're discussing these things with your doctor. Welcome to the CPR for Life podcast. I'm Sagar Doshi, and this is Zachar Moses. I know it's been some time since we've been here, but we've been working on new things. One of those new things is a mindfulness program for you to be taking part in with us. What we're doing is we're bringing people in and teaching them how to be mindful, which though sounds kind of mundane, is actually really exciting. It unlocks keys to health and happiness with a ton of literature behind it. You can follow along with our videos and then partake in classes that we're going to lead you through with other people to grow together, uh, to become stronger minded, more mindful, more aware of what's going on. Uh, in your own head, with your own thoughts, and really becoming happier. And we're really excited about it. Uh, check out the website for details about that, and you can sign up for the course. Yep, it's cprhealthclinic.com slash mindfulness. That is correct. Sounds good. What do we talk about today? Let's talk about more sleep. Uh, I know it's exciting for people uh, to learn about how to sleep, and they think, oh, once again, it sounds like we're talking about a lot of boring things lately, but these are actually really exciting things. Um, because you know how you feel when you've had a bad night of sleep and you just kind of drone on through your day and it feels awful. We're trying to avoid that. So today we're talking about temperature and sleep. And Sleep Keeper is just other than light what we've talked about before. But I'll, I'll just do the flip side, which is, yeah, I know how terrible it is to have a sleepless night. I do that routinely. So do you. Yep. But I also know how good it feels to have a well-rested night and just how powered you can feel throughout the rest of the day. Dude, it's awesome. I think you could probably tell if you listen to the last podcast, I think I did that on like three or four hours of sleep because I was doing a rapid turnaround and actually slept pretty well last night because nice. I don't work for another couple hours yet. <laughs> uh, so my energy level even between now and the last time you heard me is probably significantly different. So you can tell. Excellent. <laughs> we'll just do a side by side in case anyone is wondering. <laughs> but if anyone needs to be reminded, Zeitgebers are timekeepers. For those of you that don't speak German. Uh, they're just different ways of entraining your body's circadian rhythm, of telling your mind, your brain, what it should be doing. Is it daytime? Is it nighttime? Is it awake time? Is it sleep time? These are mutually exclusive. You can't both be asleep and awake at the same time. So your brain has to figure out which one's which. So we talked about light as essentially the biggest one of these things that affects your central internal clock, the suprachiasmatic nucleus the master clock as it is, which sits in the middle of your brain, just above where your eye, eye's path of light to the back of your brain crosses. And then that's the main one. But did you know there's actually smaller clocks in all of your organs? They're called peripheral oscillators. Every one of your major organs, kidneys, liver, heart, adrenal glands, pancreas, yada, 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 they all have these oscillators because they do different things based on whether you're alert and active or whether you're asleep. And so we've got to affect them in some way. And one of the biggest things that can do that is temperature. And our body has its own kind of temperature natural cycle that it goes through. And it's kind of the mediator, the effector of this suprachiasmatic nucleus, how it gets its message down the line. There are other ways too, but temperature is a big one. And it's our core temperature. It's not something that you would get just by putting a little infrared thermometer on the side of your head or even in your ear you would have to stick a temperature probe deep down inside. There are, there are a few ways of getting there, but I don't expect any of you to do them. So 
It depends on a few different things. One, what your regular internal temperature clock is going to do, and it's going to do its own thing based off what you've been in training it to do, what history has entrained it to do, what evolution has entrained it to do with daylight and nighttime. But it's also on other things, like how well is your heat being regulated? How well can you lose heat? Because in the beginning of the day, about a couple hours before you wake up from sleep, that's your coldest point. And then it starts to rise, and that rise helps you wake up. And then it continues to rise throughout the day, and it gets closer to evening, it starts tipping the other way and declining. And it's that drop in body temperature that helps tell your brain, ah, yes, I think I'm going to need to prepare to go to sleep. And you might imagine... Sorry, does, does yours... Yeah. Does yours ever Does yours ever go up? I've seen you come over here and you need like 150 <laughs> degrees in my house to be comfortable. I don't need 100. <laughs> you're just embellishing. You keep it at 30. So I just need it at a regular... I don't know. 60 would be nice. All right? I don't need a park that's like 66. So. <laughs> you're in a sweatshirt drinking hot coffee or tea in your case and shivering. I yeah. feel kind of bad. <laughs> I'm not used to living in the tundra. I didn't come from the tundra. I moved to Ohio from Louisiana. All right. That was a while ago. Yeah, whatever. It's built in now. So go on. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Where was I even talking about? Okay. So it's about heat loss. All right. So your ability to lose heat helps your core temperature go down. And it's that signal that tells your body and your brain, hey, all right, time to go to sleep. Just like it would be if you were outside camping. Or if you're a caveman 100,000 years ago and the temperature drops because the sun goes down. And that would be a signal. Oh, sun goes down. Now it's dark. Now it's cold. Time to sleep. So we can do that in a few different ways. One, our blood vessels on the outside of our bodies through the skin, they, uh, they dilate. They get bigger, which means blood flow can rush through them, which means you can lose heat that way. And then also, how much fat is in that area? How much fat would be impeding that heat loss? If you've got a lot of fat under your skin, it's going to be harder to lose heat. If you've got no fat under your skin, it's going to be hard to stay warm. And if you can kind of think of it, I like to think of Santa Claus. All right? Santa Claus stays awake all night. (laughs) He's got a lot of things going against him for falling asleep on the job. All right? He's wearing that thick coat. He's keeping that heat in, all right? So his core temperature is not dropping. He's got a lot of subcutaneous fat. He's got a lot of adipose tissue under his skin. So it's hard to lose temperature that way. And he's staying active. He's very active. (laughs) Jumping up and down, getting off the sled, on the sled, down the chimney, up the chimney. It's going to elevate your core temperature, which means accumulating heat is also going to keep you awake. Exercise is one of those things. Yes, it can be exhausting, which you would think would just put you to sleep. But it can also increase your core temperature. And in general, it can just kind of ramp you up. It can increase that sympathetic nervous system, your adrenaline. I don't know about you, but when I work out, I kind of blast the music that is not peaceful, that is not calming or restful, um, you know, be disturbed, system of a down. There'll be various kinds of music <laughs> that are not uh, helpful for getting to sleep or resting. And then... Whatever you're doing for your exercise regimen, maybe you're trying to run real fast. Maybe you've got some visualizations going, like you're trying to... What do you visualize when you try to run real fast or lift real hard? Uh, basically, I just... I don't really visualize much as much as I'm trying to push away the pain. Or I, I will actually em, like embrace the pain and let the pain push me. There you go. Uh, that's what I 
I use. But it, either way, it's not exactly relaxing. No. And then there's another one, pain, right? At some points in exercise, you are willfully, wantingly bringing pain upon yourself. And pain, not relaxing. It's not going to let you fall asleep, <laughs> right? This is actually how people are kept awake. Well, I mean, not people. But when you do animal experiments, that's how one of the various ways you keep the animals up for sleep deprivation. And then, of course, I won't get into torture, but sleep deprivation is a form of torture. Yeah. It produces mm -hmm. just a lot of sensitivity to pain. Everything just feels worse, too. And then just all that intensity and in everything you do, it ramps you up. But even separately from that, it increases your core temperature. This is why one of the things to avoid if you're trying to really optimize how you fall asleep is exercising in the last few hours before you go to bed, like within mm -hmm. four hours, roughly. Because unless you are getting close to someone that might call themselves an athlete, unless you are really well trained, you're not going to be able to deal with that jump in temperature really well. If you're really well trained, yeah, it may not bother you at all. I've met some people that are what I would call an athlete. They look like an athlete. They do athletic type activities and they can work out right before bed, take a shower and just pass out. Most people mm -hmm. are not that. I'm not that. So I definitely don't exercise before sleep. I sometimes do. I'm not going to lie, but, um, I use, I think I'm just so sleep deprived at times. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a little bit different. I don't know. Still not healthy. You're kind of well-trained. You do a lot of stuff. You might be able to compensate. Maybe. I'd, li I'd, I'd like to think that that's true. Let's say that. That makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> Boost your ego there for a little bit. So one of the other things that we just talked about that helps regulate how much heat you're losing is how much fluid there is in your body. Because that affects how well your blood vessels get to dilate. If you've got enough fluid in your body, then when your blood vessels dilate, your blood pressure doesn't drop too far. If you're dehydrated and your blood vessels try to open, your blood pressure is going to drop and your body's going to say, ooh, this is not good. Constrict again. <laughs> and so you end up not really losing heat. And there's some chemicals, there's some compounds, there's some things that also can lead to an effect on how well things can dilate. For example, nitric oxide, which you can get from various vegetables, beets, for example, uh, green leafy vegetables, estrogen, which everybody has, man or woman. These things can enhance how well these vessels can open up. Sodium, on the other hand, will lead to those vessels closing down. So if you're eating too much salty stuff, you got too much salt in your blood, you may have a harder time falling asleep. And so I would imagine also, also that if you're having to have that sympathetic drive to get your, if you get to dilation and then you need to constrict down mm -hmm. that sympathetic drive, I would imagine is also our, our come back to life response is probably also not great for sleep. Yeah. Totally postulating that, but I would, I would imagine that has some, some kind of a role. Definitely. Yeah. And that combined with all the other effects of that drive are all going to be fighting sleep. And, you know, later on, we'll talk about that more, I think with, when we talk about stress and how that affects sleep and how sleep affects stress. Yeah. But if you get too much, we're talking about salt. So if you get too much salty stuff or too much stuff that makes your blood all thick and concentrated, and that happens by the time afternoon rolls around, you end up just having less peripheral circulation, less circulation that gets to the outside parts of your body. And that means you're holding in too much temperature. That doesn't let your temperature drop when it needs to which is going to make it harder to fall asleep. So if you don't have enough fluid in general, 
You don't get those blood vessels to open up. You don't get to lose more heat. But also, because you don't have enough fluid, your heart is beating harder, faster. It's trying to make up for lost volume. Kind of similar to if you cut your arm and lost a bunch of blood, your heart would have to move faster. Various things would have to change to try and make up for that lost volume. But instead of bleeding, we're just doing it to ourselves by not drinking enough water. So self-induced bleeding. Now I got to come up with a better term than that, but you get the idea. (laughs) And then sleep deprivation all by itself can change things. Uh, For example, it can lead to increased aldosterone uh, that will end up having you retain sodium and lower your potassium, which will elevate blood pressure, which that in itself can inhibit sleep as well. So you end up just in one vicious cycle or another when you do things that are unhealthy. That's one of the toughest parts about staying healthy, not just in sleep, is that a lot of the things that we do that are unhealthy beget other unhealthy behaviors. Mm-hmm. And it makes it real tough to turn around. And that's true with sleep. And then your cycle gets all off and it's, you know, shift workers and all that, all that stuff that makes it difficult to sleep. And the acute setting also makes it harder to sleep long term. That's why it's so important to be focused on these habits and really pay attention to them and not just hope it just happens on its own. Yeah. You got to stay on top of things. Otherwise, they just snowball. That's a good point, especially my heart goes out to all the fellow shift workers because that just tends to not just screw up when you sleep, but it just leads to taking in way more stimulants, eating way more junk food, uh, just all these associated factors. Speaking of junk food, though, feeding when you eat also has an effect on when you sleep. One of the other zeitgebers, I just love saying that word, is, <laughs> is feeding when we eat. For example, if you eat about 45 minutes after you wake up, that'll kind of entrain your brain and body to say, this is the time when I'm supposed to be up. If you end up skipping breakfast altogether, you don't get that message to your brain. It's harder to maintain that cycle. Now, if you're already someone that's up and awake and energized and you don't get hungry till later, yeah, sure. You don't need to eat. You don't have to force yourself to eat. This is just something that you can do if you're trying to reset when you're eating. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to start waking up earlier, for example, wake up, eat, right? Start moving that clock in a way that gets you up earlier. If you're trying to get to the point where you're waking up later, you get up, how far back can you delay when you eat? The further back you can push it, the better you are for doing it. This may be helpful when people are traveling or they've moved time zones, for example. And then the other thing that we often don't think about is, what are we eating? Right? I've often heard people talking about, oh, I want to eat a bunch of carbs so I can fall asleep. But if you actually look at, if you actually look at carbohydrate intake, and I'm talking about whole carbs, not whatever's coming in a donut, not whatever's mm-hmm. coming in random young food. If you look at that, then the more carbohydrates you eat, the actual longer it takes to get to sleep. Because when you take in these carbs or your body's preferred use of fuel, most of the time if you eat too much, you're not actually just going to make fat. Most of the time you eat too much, you're going to burn that. That means more energy and that means more heat. You're going to waste it as heat. And as we've been talking about, more heat means later sleep. And then if, if you want to try and wake up earlier in that same vein, just 
Try to eat more good, whole carbohydrates in that morning. And if you're trying to stay awake longer, think about adding some good whole carbohydrates to that last meal. And maybe eating a little later as well. Obviously, we've talked about caffeine. We know what caffeine does. That's not going to help you sleep. But alcohol, pop quiz, I'm sure you know the answer. Alcohol helps you get a good night's rest. It does not. As I understand the actual science behind this, you can potentially fall asleep faster, but you almost, do you avoid REM sleep altogether or is it just like massively decreased? But I think you just don't get any actual REM sleep, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It depends on how much you've been drinking, but yeah, that ends up getting screwed up. Yeah. And so you don't get, you don't get any of that good deep sleep. You don't get any, not any, but it's worse sleep quality. Right just around the world in all those various stages. But you are unconscious. And so... Got that going for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the one other Zykeeper I'll mention is social interaction. It's great to be social. It's wonderful to be around people, animals, whoever you have a good relationship with. But if you end up doing that too close to when you want to sleep, I don't know about you, but that, that keeps me awake. That gets me energized. Yeah, it's that's one of the things that we struggle with. I think I've told so this before on the podcast that Nina and I are at our funniest when we're brushing our teeth right before <laughs> bed. So for whatever reason, we usually end up laughing hysterically as we're brushing our teeth, which makes for a mess to begin with, and we're cleaning up afterward. But for whatever reason, that's when we're laughing the hardest throughout the day. <laughs> we try to sleep right afterward, and we're in bed still laughing. So it's Wait, it's how a does nice this work? How are you the funniest when you can't talk? I it's. It's hard to explain. There's a lot of like trying to figure out what the other one's trying to say with the toothbrush in their mouth. So it, there's a lot of uh, inferred language, which is usually incorrect, which makes it even funnier. <laughs> this could make a really good bit. You should record this. You could have a whole YouTube a channel about this. Oh, a whole podcast just of us br- with us brushing our teeth. No, no, See there's no goes. video there. You need a YouTube channel. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, we have a YouTube channel. We could do it there. Yeah. <laughs> There, all right. I expect you to start working on this. I want to see something up there at least tomorrow. I think we could probably pull that off. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Does that mean you guys get to sleep better if you are on opposite schedules? Uh, no. I think part of the thing is when we're together, we actually encourage ourselves like, okay, like let's go. It's time, it's time to sleep now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're by ourselves, sometimes we just get lazy about our, our sleep hygiene uh, and we'll just kind of go to bed whenever and so i'll get you know if i'm working late i'll get a text from her at 12 30 at night like good night i'm like what are you like why are you still awake i don't understand you have to get up in six hours like what, what's your problem um so I, I think we actually do better overall when we're together all right good net gain excellent yes all right anything else we should talk about right now i don't i don't know i don't think so i mean as okay. far as i mean it's, i know it's a, it's a quick topic but you know there's a, there's a lot of little things here but i think a lot of them are semi self-explanatory like the caffeine thing, like everybody knows that you don't like pound coffee or before you want to go to sleep. I think most people inherently knew that alcohol is not probably the best way to mm-hmm. modulate sleep. I don't know about that. Alcohol. I mean, for a long time, I don't know, before med school, I definitely thought that was one of the ways. Really? To get to I sleep I sooner. That. I just assumed that, you know, have you ever seen like, you know, somebody wake up after drinking real heavy the night before and they look good, <clears throat> you know? You just look like garbage and you're like, oh, you had a long night or, you know, heavy night of drinking, huh? And you just kind of figure it out. You know, it's inherent. (laughs) (laughs) 
when you think about it like that, it suddenly crystallizes it. <laughs> All right, so let's sum it up. There are other things besides light that can help you regulate when you fall asleep and when you wake up. So whether you're a regular person or you're a shift worker or you're traveling, keep all these things in mind and you can help adjust when you sleep and when you wake up. So there was light that we talked about. There was exercise. There was what kind of fluids you take in and when you take them in. And so to put this all together, let's just say it this way. In the daytime, or when you're supposed to be awake, your body temperature is supposed to be rising. So anything you do to enhance that or make you rise quicker is going to help you stay awake at alert. All right, so that would mean eating, particularly whole carbs, should be in there. Exercise, I might have said that twice. Uh, sunlight, any of that stuff will help you. Oh, here's my favorite one that people do sometimes. Cold showers. Oh, I didn't. So tell me about that. I actually don't know much about this. Do people take cold showers to sleep? People no. People take cold showers to wake up. Oh, oh! I guess that it. makes sense. Yeah, you get in the shower. Somehow you blast the cold water on. You keep yourself in there for a couple minutes. Good solid breathing skills to get you through it. Those are and tough. then, <laughs> and then your blood vessels they shrink, right? They right. conserve all that heat, so all that heat is trapped inside, which means you're not losing that heat. You're actually accumulating that heat. It's going to help your temperature rise a little quicker gonna wake you up so is just the incredible shock and pain of being coated in freezing cold water yeah i guess that makes more sense to me it's just like the you know all of a sudden you're rapid breathing and just trying not to pass out for a second in the shower <laughs> that will usually wake you up pretty quick <laughs> and then when it's time to go to sleep anything you can do to help your body lose heat is going to help you get to sleep so that would include something like a real warm shower right because those blood vessels are going to dilate you're going to lose heat that way Keeping your extremities not cold, but actually a little warm so they can lose heat, you know? Wear some fuzzy socks or something like that. <laughs> Adjusting your ambient temperature so that it's a comfortable sleeping temperature. Usually for most people, that's going to be in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Which is why I'm surprised you don't just fall asleep all day. But I'm just, uh, just used to it. Back in the tundra where I grew up in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> that is a tundra, especially in the winter. <laughs> yes. Accurate words. And then... Avoid alcohol, definitely within three hours of trying to go to sleep, no alcohol. Caffeine, if you can avoid it within 12 hours of going to sleep, that would be ideal. Otherwise, six hours and as little as possible to help yourself go to mm -hmm. sleep. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to add? I think we covered it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. And as Zach mentioned at the top of this podcast, we do have a CPR for the mind course that's out there it comes in two flavors one is self-paced which means you do it all on your own timing there are in-depth videos where the two of us are going into the nitty-gritty about what the heck mindfulness is how it works the mechanisms uh, we touch on the research on it as well and practical tips how you can work it in and then we have a workbook that goes with it that also talks about more details more tips more exercises logbooks to keep you going keep you sticking to the plan and then the other flavor is doing all that plus doing workshops with me and actually uh, the other dr harmoses zach's wife the better doctor <laughs> who's been teaching mindfulness to her patients for a long time and so that'll be getting even more kind of uh sciencey spin on things because we are nerds <laughs> just all, all of us oh 
That's, that's how it me. goes. Yeah, when, when you dumb it down, that's, yeah. Yeah, when you dumb it down, we're nerds. There you go. Yeah, there you, yep, exactly. <laughs> well said. All right, take care out there, everybody. And remember, the way you live can save your life. <laughs>